Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. You know, there's going to be a death if there's going to be a resurrection. And so today and tomorrow, we're going to, or next week, we're going to be talking to you a little bit about the cross and what happened at the cross and why the cross is important, why it's vital to us today. So uh, a couple of verses I just want to start out with. In um, Romans 5.8, Paul kind of summarizes what happened at the cross. He says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so he's saying it's really all about the love of God and how God, he loved us enough to demonstrate. Every one of the passages I looked up in various translations They all say he demonstrates, and that's a present tense. He's still demonstrating his love for us. The other verse is uh, John 3, 16 and 17, probably familiar to you. And uh, John is kind of at the end of his life as he writes the gospel to John, and he records some of Jesus' thoughts when he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And uh, I, I love it that the whole idea of God's love is about bringing salvation to us. That word saved is the word that uh, uh, sozo, the word that uh, our church is named for, and it means to save, to heal, to deliver, to make whole. And uh, that, that's the whole idea of the cross. So I, I want to talk to you just about two things in regard to what happened at the cross. And the first one is that God's love was revealed. The revelation of God's love, the unveiling of God's love, the proving of God's love. First uh, John 4.16 says, We know and rely on the love of God uh, that he has for us, for God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So the whole idea is the love of God on display, the love of God demonstrated, the love of God proved on the cross. The second thing is that not only is God's love revealed, but it's also released. God's love actually is for us. He releases it to us so that he can release it through us. And that's more applicable for us today. But in order to understand how to live out the power of the cross today. We've got to understand what was really happening, what was really going on at the cross. And so I want to look at five uh, aspects of God's love on the cross that will kind of paint the picture for us. The first one is that God's love on the cross was scandalous. It was a scandalous love. If you uh, have your Bibles, you can look along with me in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. And this is what Paul has to say, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, to us who are being sozoed, saved, healed, delivered, made whole, made new, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And he goes on down in verse 23 and 24 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, and he says, But we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So he's saying, hey, if you ever catch a hold of of the cross, it will become power to you. It'll become wisdom to you. It'll really transform you. He said, but in a natural way of thinking, it really, to the Greeks, it was just foolish. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're, They're foolishness to them. Neither can they know them, for they're spiritually discerned. But he said to the Jews, he said it was a, a stumbling block. That word stumbling block is the word scandalon. It's scandalous. It, it, it's, it's outrageous. You know, you look at it and you go, wow, how in the world could somebody buy into this whole idea of what um, Jurgen Moltmann said? We as Christians worship a crucified God. Think about that. That, that is scandalous a crucified God. I mean, there's no other religion in the world that that has anything like that. Most religions in our world have some version of a, a powerful, glorious, triumphant God. But we Christians are, are unique. We're different because we worship a betrayed, tortured, crucified, scandalous God. And so the scandalous stumbling block, for sure. I, li- I like what uh, 1 Peter 2, 8 says. He's, he's quoting from uh, Isaiah 8, 4. He says, a stone, that Jesus is a stone that makes men stumble and a rock that makes them fall. You know, what a gospel. What a gospel. that People have to get through it to realize just how amazing God's grace is that God would stoop, that he would bend toward us and become like us. And again, it doesn't make sense in the natural. So grace is scandalous. And, uh, you know, there's really no reason, you know, I'm always going to give you a history lesson of some sort. But through the years, within a thousand years after the crucifixion, things began to shift. And Particularly in the West, there became this notion that um, people were wanted a powerful God. They wanted a, uh, in the West, there's a judicial mindset. And so God began to be interpreted through kind of uh, the lens of judgment, through the lens of, of um, power and authority. And so there was this attempt to really soften the whole scandalous gospel, the whole scandal of the crucified God. There, there was this whole move to, to create a more powerful, a more in-control God, a God who was, was going to judge and make things right. But really it became a, a God who was, was angry, a God of wrath who had to satisfy his wrath on something. And so one of the theories of the cross that became very, very popular in the West was the idea of God having some of the same uh, attributes as the primitive and pagan deities uh, who, like Moloch and, and others, who would have uh, needed to appease a barbaric uh, deity through child sacrifice. And, and I know that sounds heinous. One of the reasons why people today have a very, very difficult time with Christianity is because they've heard this gospel that looks something like this. There's this angry God, there's this angry judge who took out all of his wrath on his son and, and that just sounds 
so uh, barbaric, so horrible, well, it's, it's because it's not a true picture of the gospel. It's not good news. Uh, this, this is not Yahweh. This is not a picture of our God. And it's not what happened on the cross. And that's what I want to unpack. Uh, our God is not like Molech. He's not like an angry pagan deity. And so who demands child sacrifice or appeasement or something like that. So I want to say this first and foremost. The cross is not appeasement of an angry God. Uh, and again, unfortunately, the Western church kind of drifted into that idea that God required the violent death of his son in order to satisfy his honor, in order to pay off justice. And so, uh, as some of you know, I, I traveled to the East and, and, and have become acquainted with the Eastern church, the Eastern Orthodox church. They never bought into this at all. And so some of the things I'll be sharing with you will have a little bit of a different flavor than maybe what you have heard. But if you, the real question is this, what is God like? What is God really like? If, if Jesus didn't die on the cross to change God's mind about us, he died on the cross to change our minds about God. There, there's something that happened to us in the fall of man that distorted our whole understanding of who God is. And so when Jesus came, he came to represent uh, who God really is and what God's really like. And so a lot of times the, the cross is seen as that Jesus uh, is there to save us from this angry God. But the truth is Jesus reveals God as the Savior. He's not saving us from God. He's revealing to us God as our Savior. And so what is God like? Well, I'm, I'm, glad, you, I'm glad you asked because I can answer that. God is exactly like Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of God. In Colossians 2.9, Paul writes this. He says, All the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus in bodily form. Let me say that again. All the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus in bodily form. So, so how much of the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus? Well, you know, some anyway, you know, because, you know, there's this other side of God that, you know, we kind of got to reconcile in the equation. Well, that, that's not what the scripture says. He says that all of the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus, that Jesus represents God in the fullest progressive revelation of who God is. And so it means that anything that Jesus did, the Father and the Holy Spirit were also doing through him. Anything Jesus did, the, the Father and the Holy Spirit were doing through him. Let, let that sink in a little bit. So in Colossians 1, he says this in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And I would add that pursues us with an everlasting love. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says it this way. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him reconcile in himself or in other words, restore to friendship all things, all things by making peace through his blood shed on the violent cross. So you might say, well, okay, I, I get that. I see that what Jesus did and all that. But the next verse kind of clears it up. It says in verse uh, Colossians 1.21 says this. He says, once we were alienated from God and enemies in our mind. 
See, God, God's not separated from us. God's not far away. God is a Father who loves us, who pursues us. But in our minds, in our distorted minds, in our blinded minds, in our wrong thinking in our minds, we think that we're far away from God. You know, we, we were the ones who were alienated from God. It wasn't God who was separated from us. In fact, God was heartbroken. And God wanted more than anything to restore us. God wanted more than anything to know us. God wanted more than anything for us to fill our purpose and our destiny. And so the scandalous love is in the form of Jesus, who is the fullness of God in bodily form. You know, I, I, I want to quote some from pastor and author Brian Zahn. He says this, he says, Good Friday is not about divine wrath. Good Friday is about divine love. You know, if there's, if there's nothing else that could sink in about the cross, that would be the nugget I'd want you to get. That Good Friday is not about divine wrath. It's about divine love. And he goes on to say, he says, Calvary is not where we see how violent God is. Calvary is where we see how violent our civilization is. You need to get that. God, man who has drifted away from God is hostile toward God. God is not hostile toward man. God woos and loves man, but man can go to a place of crucifying God. And so that's, that's the picture. He, he continues on. He says, there's no doubt about it. The death of Jesus was murder. It, was, it wasn't the anger of God. It was murder. It was a lynching, a state-sponsored execution of an innocent man. God's foreknowledge of the, of the killing does not mean that it was God's will for Jesus to be murdered. You know, somehow that's gotten twisted in, in our Western way of thinking that because Jesus went to the cross, it was God's will that he would be lynched, that he would be murdered, that he would have all these heinous things happen to him. Can I say it wasn't God? It, got, it wasn't a payment to an offended deity. It was all about a picture of forgiveness in the heart of God, the love of God. So I could talk about this a long time, the scandalous love of God, but let's move on to the next uh, aspect of the love of God, and that's the self-giving love of God. The self-giving love of God. It's scandalous, but it's self-giving. And, and here's the thing about the self-giving love of God. The self-giving, self-sacrificing love of God didn't begin at the cross. God's always been self-giving. He's always been self-sacrificing. If you go to the very beginning, in the beginning, the Trinity of God, I, I, I go there a lot because I think it's so important uh, to see this, this circle of shared love in life, to see this uh, perichoresis that we talk about, the, the name that the fourth century church gave, the, the only way they could describe this uh, interaction, this interdependence and oneness and union uh, that God had, this communion that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had it was there. And so it's this self-giving love where God is giving and demonstrating within himself. But then at the incarnation, when God comes, becomes flesh, when he comes to earth disguised in a human suit, we, we see over in Philippians this picture of, of self-sacrifice. In Philippians 2, verse 5, through eight. You might write that down or, or take a look at it. Listen to this. 
It says, in your relationship with, with one another, with each other, have the same mind as Christ had, who being in the very nature of God, that perichoresis, in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He knew that in coming to planet Earth, he had to have vantage of mankind and of God. He needed to be 100% God, 100% man. And it said, rather in verse 7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to becoming obedient, by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, the, cro the cross is all about self-giving love, where God says, I, am, I will go through whatever it takes to enter your world, to come into your darkness, to be near you, to meet you at your point of need. God's not far away and aloof saying, you better clean up and get it right before you can meet me. He said, I will come into your darkness. I love you so much that I'm going to demonstrate it by sending my son to come into your world. And so the question for me when you talk about self-sacrifice and self-love is, was the death of Jesus a sacrifice. You know, Jesus has given his life for the sake of the world, but we said earlier that it's not a payment to appease an angry deity, so was it a sacrifice? I will say yes, it was a sacrifice, but it was a sacrifice to end all sacrificing. Jesus' sacrifice is a once-for-all sacrifice, putting an end to the Old Covenant, putting an end to the whole sacrificial system, putting an end to man's attempt to perform, to appease, to do enough, to really please a deity that's already pleased. Think about that. God, God is pleased with you. He loves you. He's for you. But he wants you to see how much he loves you and call you into the, the, the fullness of your purpose and destiny and all that God has for you. So sacrifice is all about manifesting God's forgiveness. It's not to satisfy wrath. Have you ever thought about it that Jesus was nailed on the ultimate symbol of violence, the violent uh, cross, the, the, the picture of imperial power, and that Jesus uh, re really came against the whole right-handed power of God, as Martin Luther would call it, the, the power of violence and control, the, the power of um, political power in this case and, and religious power. I and mean, there's nothing more wicked than when you get uh, political and spiritual spirits uh, cohorting together. And so that's what's going on here. This, this right-handed power of, uh, of man is being challenged by the left-handed power and the humility of God. That's what the cross is all about. It, it is an upside-down kingdom. It is so radically different than the way we get our way through control, manipulation, coercion, and, and violence. You know, I mean, can I tell you, war is not in God's economy. It's not in his mindset. In fact, it really is peace that settles everything. You know, so I, I won't, I'll resist going there, but I will say this. It leads us into the third love, and that is a radically forgiving love. It's, it's a scandalous love. 
It is a self-giving love, but it is a forgiving love. And so Jesus' words on the cross still ring powerfully today. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They, they don't have a clue what they're doing. You ever feel that way? God, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. In the midst of the craziness, in the midst of all the stuff that you might be doing that you ought not to be doing, Jesus says, listen, I want you to know, I have, once and for all, sacrifice have forgiven you and made a way for you to come into relationship so that I can release that love to you and through you. And so when he says, Father, I forgive them, who who is the them that that Jesus is forgiving? See, I, I think sometimes we think that the scope of Jesus' forgiveness only is so wide. It's only so deep. It's only so encompassing. In context, he's forgiving. He's saying, Father, Father, forgive that whole religious system, the whole Caiaphas and the whole high priestly system, the whole religious system. You realize, don't you, that, that Jesus went to the cross, I will say primarily because he was not religious enough. Jesus would not bend to the religious will of the day. He would not do what religion demanded. He would not bow to the temple and say, he'd say, I, I am the temple. Anything that religion would throw, Jesus would say, listen, I am greater than. Everything that was once of huge consequence bows its knee to me because I am God. And so Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's part of my forgiveness, but it, it's, he's saying also that in the whole political realm, Pilate and uh, the Roman soldiers, they were all part of crucifying. You know, people ask me this time of year, who, who crucified Jesus, or you know, why did Jesus die? And I just say, because we killed him. You know, all, all did. It, it's, it's this hostility of civilization gone mad that crucifies God. As, as uh, Moltmann would say, Herod in his whole, um, as king of, of Judea and the political power that he represented or the economic power, Judas, the betrayer. But let me ask the question is, how broad, how big is the forgiveness of Jesus? You know, I believe Jesus' forgiveness is as broad as people's yes is. If you'll say yes, if you'll embrace the new way of the new covenant, which is forgiveness. If you, if you go to uh, Jeremiah 31 and you begin to read that, he says, forgive their wickedness and I will forgive their wickedness and remember it, their sins, no more. It requires repentance. It requires rethinking. It requires saying, I humble myself before you, Lord Jesus. But forgiveness is is, is broad and as deep as, as we will repent to receive. So lastly, I want I just want to say, or, or two more things. I want to say God's love is also revealed as co-suffering love. Co-suffering love. You know, there's, there's nothing that you are going through right now that Jesus has not already been through and is not already going through with you right now. And just inviting him into your situation, asking him about former situations, and to say, Jesus, what's going on here? Where were you in the midst of this? And that's where healing comes. That's where soul care takes place. Listen to this. In, in Hebrews 2, 17 and 18, 
Jesus entered our darkness. He became fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted because Jesus has gone through all the stuff that you're going through, you might say, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, did, did Jesus ever go through abuse? You know, I don't think we have a clue of all of the physical, even sexual abuse that took place on the cross and the going previous to the cross, the beatings, the shame, the humiliation, the pain, growing up, being called a, a bastard child, all of the things that he incurred, all of the misunderstandings that, that he felt uh, directed toward his father whom he knew and the rest of the world had no clue. I've said it many times, but the devastation of sin is that it really distorts the picture of who God really is. And so Jesus knows what you're going through. Hebrews 4.15 says this. Speaking of Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Jesus is there with us. On the cross, he's going through it all with us. He's co-suffering with us. But where is, where is the Father in the midst of all of this? You know, there's a, there's a scripture that, that maybe Joel will touch on a little bit next week in, in um, um, Psalm 22. That, that talks about where Jesus starts out the psalm and he says, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And so there's been much teaching on that, that God turned his back on God, he, on Jesus. He forsook him in the darkest hour. Well, can I give you an alternative verse to that? And, and again, I'm putting Joel on the spot over here. He's going to have to, he's going to have to clean that one up for you. But in 2 Corinthians 5, 19, I think we get a picture of where God was in the midst of Jesus' suffering on the cross. For it says that God, the Father, was in Christ, reconciling the entire cosmos, the entire world to himself, not counting man's sins against him. The Father was right in the middle of it. Remember we talked about how the, Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead indwelled in bodily form. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit all went through the cross for us, co-suffering for us because of love. It's a co-suffering love where he says that that whole idea of co-suffering means compassion, literally means together we suffer. It's God says, I'm there with you. Whatever, wherever you're going through, I'm there with you. And so the cross is where God in Christ absorbs human sin and then recycles it into forgiveness. Isn't that, isn't that a great thought? That he takes, he absorbs it all, and he recycles it into forgiveness. And that's why he tells us, on, after the resurrection, he comes back, he says, now listen, you have that same authority through forgiveness. Forgiveness can be one of the most powerful weapons we'll ever have if we can fully get a hold of it. So much about the cross is the display of God, the demonstration of who God is, as lover, as forgiver, as reconciler, and as grace giver. And so, lastly, in this thought here, 
What about us? What about us in, re, in regard to co-suffering and all that? Well, Jesus, or Paul says this of Jesus later. He says, listen, here's what was going on at the cross. And here's what's taken place since the cross. He said, because of the cross, I am crucified with Christ. And it's no longer Steve who lives, but it's Christ in Steve that's living. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me, gave his life for me. Go back and read all these passages and you'll, you'll be captured by the number of times it talks about he loves me, he gave his life for me. It's faith in the Son of God, but it's faith of the Son of God. We now, because he lives in us, it's his faith living out of us because we're co-crucified with Christ. We were co-rescued by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus came into our world, into our darkness. He became as man to rescue us from sin. Now, this new identity on the cross, it's been given to us freely. Uh, the, the second Corinthians uh, 5, 19 verse says that God is saved. He's reconciled the entire cosmos to himself. The, the issue is, have you received your reconciliation? Have you received forgiveness? Have you come to that place and said, yes, I receive that. By faith, I take that in. The only way you get there is through a renewed mind, a repentant mind. That's why Jesus talked about repentance so much. He said, until your mind shifts, you'll never get this. The, the, the reason, the, the truth and reason why our friends don't know Jesus as Lord and his awesome, the loving attributes that, that I've shared, is because they're, they're still blinded to a lie of who God is and what really happened on the cross. If the good news of the gospel of the cross, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God gets out there, it really will spread like wildfire. It'll be like yeast that just explodes. It'll be like a mustard seed that just becomes such a huge tree that all of the birds of the air come and flock to it. That is the message that we're talking about here because it's not only the revelation of who God is, but it's the release of all of this love to us and then through us. And so I want to look at one last love, and that's on the cross, we see the overcoming love of Jesus. We see the overcoming love. When Jesus says, it is finished, it says, with that, Jesus bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That's a John 19.30. Jesus finished his work. The truth is, he was on the front end of finishing his work. We'll, we'll talk in a couple weeks about what finished it, what clinched it, what cinched it at the resurrection. But Jesus was saying, listen, what is finished is an old way of living by old covenant rules, regulations, rituals, laws. It's finished. A new and living covenant, a new and living way has been made for you. It's wide open to you. Everything has changed. Behold, all has become brand new. You're a new creation. So what is, what is a couple of thoughts. Jesus, when he says he gave up his spirit, I want you to see that. Jesus freely gave his spirit. As God, he had all authority. to. He chose to give of his spirit and in the doing that on his death he released his spirit into our lives for all who will receive it 
who will repent, say yes, and receive it. See, in, in a lot of ways, new birth, spiritual reality happened right there at the cross. He saved us. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves except to say, God, I can't do this. I receive the, the gift that Jesus has given to me by grace through my faith. And so what, what, why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, I want to share just a few things real quick. Number one, he, he died to rescue us from the bondage of Satan, from the captivity of shame, fear, and guilt. That's, that's only tools the enemy has over us. He came to rescue us from sin to, by absolutely forgiving us. He came to rescue us from death by entering it and then conquering it and overcoming it. And he came to rescue us from the condemnation of the law. How did he do that? By establishing a new and better covenant, a guaranteed covenant, guaranteed by himself, guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. So what happened at the cross? Well, the love of God was revealed. His scandalous, scandalous love. This amazing grace. It's just too easy. It's a stumbling block to people who say, what do I need to do? Well, that's too easy. Because it requires saying, I can do nothing apart from him, and I simply receive his love. I receive, I receive his scandalous love. The second thing is he, he had self-giving love. He gave him his very self to end all other sacrifices, all other works, all other performance, and he forgave. A forgiving love that is the new way of the new covenant. Now, what does that look like? How do we give this away? 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, I'll read that. But I want to read the next verse. It says, here's what this looks like to have this love of Christ in you and then living through you. It's, it's not a two-step thing. I think Paul saw it as when a person became captivated by the cross, what happened on the cross, the reality of the cross, the revelation of the cross, the unveiling of the cross, that it would naturally become something that would be released. It's not a time release thing. It's an immediate release once you really get it. And he says this, he says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting man's sins against them. That's pretty good news to know God's not counting our stuff against us. And he says he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, in light of that, we are his ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, wouldn't that be incredible if, if, if we were to step into Monday morning, step into Sunday, sunshine's come to us, it looks like, and begin to, to, to let people know the truth of the matter is that salvation is a finished work. It's a done deal. That in, If you want to say it this way, you're pre-forgiven, but you need to receive what's already yours. We've got a choice. We can reject what Jesus did or we can receive. But what if, what if we did what Paul said and we just began to say, I plead with you, I beg with you. This is such great news. Consider this and allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in people. You know, my question today is, is, is just simply this. I'll leave it with you. You know, I was planning to be preaching to the masses and, you know, all kind of stuff. But I believe right there where you're at, God 
can touch you and do whatever he wants to do and is doing already. Take in his word. Take it deeply. Let that incorruptible seed of the word go deeply into you. Take time to, to parse it out and to, to study it and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Where am I deficient in love here? I need to receive this self-giving love. I need to be more self-giving. I need to release that. I need to release this overcoming love. I need to re release this scandalous thing. Just know on the front end, it's, it's too good to be true. Scandalous. It's good stuff. But I think I think... The question is, have you received the scandalous love of God? You know, uh, there, there may be some here that are listening and you're saying, you know, I, I've not done that. I've never realized just how incredible the forgiveness of God is, that he can really release, that's what that word means, he can release me of all my past by me simply saying, Lord, I give up, I trust you, I repent, I turn to you and align with you, and I trust you with me. And then simply receive his forgiveness right there where you are. But don't just receive that. Be ready now to share that. Be willing to give that good news. Release the scandalous love of God. I'd like to just pray for us in closing here. And, uh, and uh, Lord, I just ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive all that, that your Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now. And, Lord, I thank you, God, for your overcoming love. Lord, I thank you that there is no obstacle too big for you. I thank you that there's no thing too difficult for you. Lord, I thank you that you've overcome sin. And Father, we can now see God exactly the way you see him, Jesus. That we see you, the Holy Spirit, and the Father as one. Lord, I thank you that your overcoming love has overcome sickness. And that we now can have health and wholeness and life sozo to the max. So if you're, if you're in need of health, just say, Lord, I receive your wholeness right now in Jesus' name. I receive your healing that was purchased for me on that cross in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you that you have overcome condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And we just say yes and amen to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Sozo. Amen. Thank you for joining us. That was really deep. Thank you so much, Steve. That was powerful. Hey, uh, some of you are having trouble listening or, or seeing the, the video uh, live. You may be able to catch it on playback. Also, we'll have the audio uh, up on podcast pretty soon, so hopefully you can catch it there. Um, and then you're welcome to join us tonight. Uh, at 5 p.m. for Sozo Life at the Springs, 421 Springtown Way, uh, right across the street from Chewy's, and right next door to where P. Terry's is coming in. That's going to be really good, too. Love you. Hope you have a great week. Bye.